An interesting thing happens when you have a child with special needs. Friends and family members start to cut out articles from the newspaper and buy you books about people with special needs. Depending on the day, this can make me feel ridiculously inadequate or hopeful and triumphant. Last November around Thanksgiving, my mom handed me an article she had cut out from the Deseret News. It was about siblings of kids with special needs and how lucky they are to have kind of a natural environment that lends itself to developing good qualities such as compassion and charity. I loved the positive spin that it put on this situation that can often be seen as difficult. And even though it might be hard that these kids get some extra benefits from having a sibling that might need a little extra love and a little extra care. I worry a lot about my older daughter and other kids that we might have and how having a sibling with special needs might affect them in a negative way. I worry that they might resent the extra attention that their sister requires or that they might endure teasing or cruelty or have to defend their sister from that. The article put such a positive spin on things that I tucked it in my journal and kept it with the other few that have ever really resonated with me. Well, today's interview is with the author of that article, Megan Goats. Megan has four boys. Two of them have special needs and two are typically developing. So she has some great insight about the special relationships that can develop among siblings. We also talk about getting a diagnosis taking care of yourself as a parent, and a whole bunch of other really great things. So stay with us. In January of 2013, my baby girl Betty was born. Later we discovered she had a chromosomal deletion that would affect the rest of her life. I created this podcast to share the stories and struggles of special needs children and their families. This is episode two of Bringing Up Betty. I'm Sarah Evans. Megan grew up in the middle of five girls, all sisters. So when she became a mother herself, naturally she had boy after boy after boy after boy. And now I have all these boys and it's just this totally raucous, crazy life and <laughs> and just to add to the fun two of those boys have special needs two of them are on the autism spectrum one is very high functioning and one is very low functioning my lower functioning son also has a syndrome that affects um, mainly like cognitive development so he is intellectually disabled as well so we kind of run the spectrum We also have anxiety thrown in there and just kind of like basically every behavioral issue known is happening right now in my family. So it's interesting. And then those are my two middle boys. And then my oldest son and my youngest son um, are both typically developing and just also play a really kind of important role in our family. Um, My sister once said to me that My family members fit together like pieces of a puzzle. We're all very different, but we kind of all have these strengths and weaknesses that kind of work well together. And somehow it's working to have us all put together in one family. 
In the world of special needs, some of us have a long journey to a diagnosis, some of us have a short one. Here's Megan's journey, starting with her second son, Jack. He was born on this beautiful Sunday morning in May, 11 years ago, and we did not know that there was anything going on with him. But when he was born, they kept telling me that he looked like he had a rash over most of his body. And because it was a Sunday, there were no pediatricians there. It was just some on-call pediatrician. And they were like looking in these big medical books <laughs> to see what what was going on. Like they didn't know. They'd never seen it, which now in hindsight makes sense because it's really this rare syndrome called macrocephaly cutis marmorata telangiectasia congenitus syndrome. Uh, very few people have it, but you know, amazingly, they do know what it is. It does have a name. And um, so shortly after he was born, we were referred to pediatric dermatology, who told us it wasn't really anything to be concerned about. It was just this, this thing. He had this capillary malformation, and it was fine. But our pediatrician referred us to a geneticist because I think she had was seeing some some little differences in Jack even when he was just an infant. So when he was seven months old, we got into genetics and they diagnosed him at that point with the syndrome. He was just seven months old. Um, they really couldn't tell us a whole lot about it except the name and that there was a lot of cognitive delay associated with it. But they don't, they don't know really what the future holds for him. And then when he was two and a half, we were working with early intervention and he started having just a lot of behavior problems. There had always been communication issues. And um, we had him tested at that point for autism and found out that he also has autism. So it was kind of a process over a couple of years that we sort of figured it all out with Jack. And really, actually, we're still trying to figure everything out with Jack. It's always just an adventure. Um he can't um, talk to us, tell us the things you know that are bothering him, things that he wants. And so those things are an ongoing struggle. So that's Jack. And then there's Megan's third son, Charlie. And then my third son, Charlie, we didn't realize anything was going on with him until he was probably three and a half or four. He was a little bit older. We, we knew from a young age that he had some anxiety. We could see that. But compared to Jack, he didn't seem to have autism in, in our minds. They were so different. But we were having a lot of um, just behavior issues with him. And we went to see a psychiatrist, and she said that he also was on the autism spectrum. He's just higher functioning. So that was, that was a really difficult time. I had really kind of struggled and come to terms with Jack's disabilities and felt like, you know, that was something I'd accepted and we were moving forward as a family. But it, it was almost harder for me to hear that a second child of mine had disabilities. I didn't know how I could handle it because one was so hard. One was already like just such a struggle. So that was, that was a hard time for me. In in hindsight now, it's been a couple of years since Charlie's diagnosis, and it's been a wonderful thing to, to know what we're dealing with 
with him because he has come so far. We've been able to help him with just exactly the things he needs. We've been able to address the anxiety and then also like the rigidity of autism and he's been able to get some therapy, behavior therapy, and he attends a small group autism class nearby for school. It's it's part of an autism unit that's um, located within a general ed elementary. And that has just been a wonderful thing for him. He has just blossomed. He's getting the right kind of help. And um, he has come a long way since his diagnosis. Since I only have one child with special needs, and since her diagnosis is also extremely rare, I thought Megan could provide some great insight about the differences between having a child with a rare diagnosis and one that is a little more common, or at least that people seem more familiar with. So Jack does still have autism, and so we've always been able to access resources like directed at children with autism, but he's just so much lower functioning that than many of them that, it, yeah, it's difficult because other kids are able to do so so much more. So that is always really tricky and he is just unusual that way. With Charlie, I don't know if it's easier to hear that he just had autism. A lot of people, and I've written about this, a lot of people will say, oh, he's high functioning. That's such a good thing because they, you know, they think high functioning equals easier or better. And, and it sounds like it would mean that, you know, when you it, that sounds like something logical, but I have found that high functioning is actually really hard too, and it's not actually easier. It's just a totally different kind of difficulty, and it's it's all hard. It's all really challenging. When kids are higher functioning, they don't look physically disabled. They don't act like obviously disabled like Jack does. People are able to tell, you know, pretty much right away that he has a disability, but someone like Charlie can speak and sometimes behave normally, but then sometimes behave, you know, strangely or inappropriately. And then it's hard because people's expectations are different. If they don't know about the disability, they sometimes think it's just, you know, he's just kind of a troublemaker or there's bad parenting involved. So Charlie has not been, I wouldn't say he's been easier Although right now he's doing really well. So knock on wood, we hope that lasts. (laughs) (laughs) That totally makes sense. My daughter has, she has a rare genetic disorder too. And so it's almost like I think people can tell that she's different, but I'm not always sure. I know. And that's a really hard thing, I think, about special needs parenting is how much do other people understand? How much do we need to help them understand and it's like, where do you, where do you draw the line without walking around, like wearing a sandwich board saying like, my child has a disability, you know, and treat them a certain way. It's, it's like, how do you, how do you address that? I have found though, that in my experience, the more people around me do know about my children and the issues that they're facing, the better and the more helpful and the more understanding they are for our family. I think a lot of the time when people maybe say hurtful things or or stare or um, you know that kind of thing, it's because they don't know. They don't they don't know what's going on. They don't understand. But 
it's it's been just heartening for me to see that the more that people see and kind of get what we're going through, those kinds of comments just don't happen. People tend to be just more supportive. They like to ask questions. They're trying to understand. So I just, I think that kind of talking more about it and blogging about it, writing about it and kind of just sharing with people is, is actually really helpful. And I think, I think a lot of my friends have said that it's helpful for them to know when a child has, you know, something going on that they can't just readily see because then they can, they can understand a little bit better and they can, you know, try to be helpful when interacting with that child. I know sometimes I wonder if um, explaining a disability to like a stranger (laughs) is like making excuses for my child in some ways. I don't want to limit her by saying, oh, she probably won't or she can't do this or that. Well, and how much do I owe a stranger who's just curious? I know. And I think that that's up to you, but I kind of my... MO is that if a, if it's a stranger and we're just meeting and passing and I I will just say something simple like this is my son he has special needs or like he isn't able to talk if they're you know asking him a question or something and just keeping it simple and oftentimes people will come back with oh my my neighbor's sister's cousin has autism or, or something and you know <laughs> I think they're just trying to like make a connection not that they have a lot of experience with it necessarily, but they're just uh-huh. <laughs> trying to reach out. and Yeah, I've totally gotten the like, my sister-in-law's neighbor's daughter has. I know, <laughs> I know. and sometimes the follow-up comment will be, so I totally get it, <laughs> which oh is really it's well-meaning, yeah. but it's not accurate because really until you've lived it, you can't really know, which I'm sure that is true of, a lot of challenges that people face. Yeah. I was just talking with my husband about this yesterday and we were saying that, you know, a lot of people um, will like ask questions or feel like they understand, but until you get in like a group with other parents of special needs children, there's just kind of this different, deeper level of understanding where you don't have to explain it because they just know. <laughs> they get it. Yeah. Yes. So do you, do you feel like you've gotten to a place where you can kind of deflect even those comments that don't come across so nicely? I, I do. I think, I mean, I'm sure someone could say something hurtful still, <laughs> but I've gotten to a point where I, um, I know what challenges my children are facing. I know what they're, I know what they're capable of to a, to an extent. I know what things are really hard for them. And so if we're, you know, out in public and there's some sort of bad behavior and people are staring or whatever, I, in a lot of ways, I just kind of tune it out at this point. What other people, I used to think a lot about what are other people thinking of us right now and we're a spectacle. And now I, I really don't concern myself with that. It's more, how can I help my child in this situation? What can I do? And I guess that's just comes from just years of living it. behavior in public and just yeah. knowing that we're doing the best we can, but we also limit how much we, you know, where we do take our children because they have, especially Jack has a hard time handling a lot of 
situations. And then I think when there's, I've read, you know, internet comments on, like on stories, you know, that are about kids with disabilities. And, you know, there can be some really ignorant, kind of mean-spirited comments. And they do make me sad. But I tend to just say that is someone who doesn't have any experience with it. And I think if they did, they wouldn't have that same attitude. It's just where they're coming from. They just don't know anything about it. Yeah. So has it just been kind of the norm for your oldest and youngest to have these two brothers with special needs? Yeah, it has. My oldest, Henry, is he's 13 and a half. So he was just two and a half when Jack was born. And I remember him asking a lot of questions when, like when Jack was a toddler and, and not speaking and having, you know, some issues. And he, he would ask me, uh, why isn't Jack talking? Why doesn't Jack talk? Why does Jack make these sounds? And, you know, we didn't really know what we thought Jack might talk. And so I just, you know, would say things to him like, well, it takes some children longer to learn how to speak and we'll, we'll just see what happens. But I think it is just what he's always known. He has, he's really learned a lot. Um, being the oldest brother in my family, he just, he has a great sense of responsibility for his brothers. He cares for them. He watches out for them. I mean, they totally have like a normal relationship in that they make him crazy sometimes. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) he wants them to stay out of his stuff and out of his room. And, and I get it. But yeah, it has been the norm for him. He has, he's always been a huge helper to me. And even when he was young, I didn't have to ask him to do things to help Jack, but he would. When he was just little, he would help Jack, you know, get down from his booster seat at the table. He would buckle his seatbelt in the car. He would help wash his hair in the bath. And I think he just instinctively knew that Jack wasn't able to totally take care of himself and So he just helped him and it was really sweet. And then my youngest is only, he's only three and a half, but it's definitely been all he's ever known. I mean, this is just life in our house. And um, I guess kind of the beauty of siblings of special needs children is that it is kind of normal for them. They just see, they tend to see the person um, instead of just the disability which, you know, with a casual acquaintance, that's probably all they can see. But a sibling lives with them. They know them as a person. They know their their likes and their dislikes and their heart and what they're like, you know, at their core. And that's how they treat them as a person. Yeah. So I think that that is a really special thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really is. I think if our younger daughter had been a typical developing child, her relationship with her sister would be a lot different. It's brought a lot of added sweetness to our home. Yes. This is like a pretty personal question. After you had Jack, was there any risk that another baby would have the same disorder? Um, Yeah. So, well, we thought about that a lot. It wasn't a, a decision that we took lightly. Our geneticist told us, that there had never been a family that had had two children with the same syndrome. They call it kind of just something, a spontaneous um, thing that happens as far as we know. So he didn't believe that that was a huge risk, but we did know that autism can happen, you know, more than once in a family, that that 
there is, I think it's like a 15% chance or something that that can happen. However, they told us that Jack had autism as a function of his syndrome. So we felt like the risk was pretty low. We felt like it was maybe this, you know, similar to just your average person's risk. But it was really a kind of a personal decision and we just knew our family wasn't complete yet and we felt we felt apprehensive but we went ahead with it and I'm grateful we did even though you know Charlie did end up being on the spectrum and has you know his own challenges but he is you know our child and we're grateful for him and and then uh we didn't we didn't know that Charlie also had you know, his own issues when we had our youngest. So we had Truman and he's, so he's three and a half and he was born prematurely six weeks early and he had to spend a month in the NICU. And, after, you know, so right after that delivery, everything was kind of chaos in our lives. And that's when we started seeing some signs from Charlie that things were not typical. And so that's when it all came out. We didn't know about him until after we'd had our fourth. It's hard to explain to people. Um, it was a spiritual kind of decision. It was just something we knew um, we needed to do. And were we terrified? Yes. But it wasn't something that we were going to not do because of fear. We felt strongly that it was the right thing and this was our family. And so we did it. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's great. Obviously, that's a very personal decision and one that every family makes for themselves. And I think you never regret like the children that you have, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> and they all fit into that puzzle, like you said. So can you think of anything, any specific things that you've learned from having Charlie and Jack in your family? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, they've taught me so many things. And a lot of it's been like <laughs> trial by fire. Like it's been this really intense education with a steep learning curve. But I have learned things from them that I'm confident I wouldn't know otherwise. So I, I think um, they've taught me to completely reorder my priorities. They've taught me to be less focused on kind of material things like fleeting things even like lifestyle and hobbies and, you know, having a, a nice looking house, a clean house, um, you know, taking vacations. These are things that, you know, used to be important to me that are much less important to me now. I get really excited now about, you know, when somebody can achieve some kind of small goal, like using the toilet instead of the floor when they need to go to the bathroom and and that is that is something that we have been dealing with for years. And so when when we do see some success, it is really a wonderful sense of victory and achievement for not just them, but for for us. Like yay, you know, we're making progress. I think I'm I'm more empathetic and compassionate, particularly with people who are different or who feel different and are going through really difficult challenges. Like I just, I just feel like a sense of empathy, even if I haven't lived their exact, you know, in their shoes, I 
know that feeling of desperation of just not knowing how you will make it through one more day and um, just kind of the the relentlessness of some challenges that, that people have, I just, I just get it. I just understand how they feel. And that, that's been a really nice thing to have that connection with people and to feel this depth of relationships with friends and just people who have, you know, who are going through their own challenges that aren't the same as my challenge, but we can just really connect at this deeper level and feel like we can understand each other. But I think they've taught me to like let go of little things that, you know, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter, you know, the way your hair looks every day and it doesn't, perfection is totally out of the equation. So that's kind of a good thing to learn to just banish the idea of being perfect. And I think they've just taught me to live in the moment and appreciate what I have right now, because sometimes it, we can have really hard days, really hard months even, but there are really good moments and they've just taught me to see that. And that's been a really good thing. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I think a lot of people look at families with kids that have special needs and they think, well, not only what a burden or what a hard thing, but they don't realize like how much it enriches the parents' lives too. Right. Yes. One of my good friends <laughs> would have people say she adopted three of her four children and one of her daughters has special needs and people would always say, oh, your little girl is so lucky to be in your family. And she said, well, we feel like we are the lucky ones that mm-hmm. we got her and she is just changing us into better people and we're learning and growing so much from her. And I do feel that way. Like sometimes I almost feel like a sense of sadness for people who haven't had to go through this whirlwind yeah. <laughs> challenge of having your whole life shaken up by disabilities because it really it really does enrich your life and, and change the way you see things. And so I am grateful for it. Yeah, for sure. I can tell you've got a great perspective on the whole situation. Well, sometimes I have a bad attitude about it and <laughs> I, I yell and I go to my room and pull the covers of my head and I eat chocolate and go to bed really early. And, and I don't want to do it again when I wake up in the morning, but if that's just life and I think it's normal that you know, there's a lot of ups and downs and sometimes we're really weary and we just need a break to just step away from it. And I think that's true of everybody, but I think it's especially true for special needs parents. My own mental health would be just completely out the window if, if I didn't make time for myself. Um, my husband and I like religiously have a date night every week. And if for some reason it doesn't work out, we both start freaking out. Like we can't handle it. (laughs) We need it. And it's, I mean, it's been really difficult. We've been doing it for years. It's not always easy to find childcare and, and make it happen, but it's just basically either that or like, I am going to get checked into a mental health facility for myself. (laughs) So we do that. And then I've just found like on a personal level, like I have to just give myself permission to make time for things that help me decompress and help me cope. 
And so for me, writing is a big part of that. I feel like I'm able to just say what, you know, describe my life honestly as it actually is and not have to hide anything. And I can kind of process things as I write about them and connect with other people who read it. And then, you know, like eating chocolate is also a big part of my (laughs) coping (laughs) strategies and meeting with friends and and just kind of talking about that. Any like funny experiences you'd like to share? Oh, well, there's so many. Um, (laughs) I don't know, like so many of my stories tend to involve poo and I don't even (laughs) want to talk about it. I just think it's gross. And I think it's sad that like people will talk to me, people who know me, and I feel like three sentences into any conversation, we're like talking about poop. And I don't, I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. So I got to think about something else. Um, I always refer to vacuums. My Jack is, has kind of this vacuum obsession and especially shop vacs are just like his happy place. He, they, he loves them so much. And so we have stories of like, he takes vacuums outside and he likes to throw them over the fences into the neighbor's yard. He's just basically obsessed with vacuums. It's just kind of funny, but weird. Anyway, so he's doing this summer program. It's a day program that has been wonderful. And I went to pick him up the other day and they said, um, oh, Jack's had such a great afternoon. We could not stop him from vacuuming. He was vacuuming <laughs> out our vans and doing a really pretty good job. Oh, that's awesome. I thought, oh, you know what? This is going to work well. Like, he just would love nothing more than to vacuum out all of your vans basically every day. And then when I picked him up this week, they said that um, one of his leaders had been he had been showing another client how to vacuum stairs, like teaching him how to do that. And Jack was watching this little tutorial and just found it hilarious. Like, oh my gosh, someone else has the shop back and is you don't even know how to vacuum stairs. Like, I, this is so funny. <laughs> I don't know. Like, the things that become normal for us are funny. Like, vacuums. People are always bringing us their old decrepit vacuums and giving him to Jack to play with for a while. And, you know, that's not something I expected in, from, in my life. Is, yeah, is, for sure. It's for sure. <laughs> so have your neighbors gotten used to having a vacuum end up in their backyard? <laughs> I don't know if they're used to it. Um, it has happened a lot. And, you know, usually the vacuums come back, they'll <laughs> return them. And um, they've been pretty patient with us. I'm sure it's not the easiest to... <laughs> to be our neighbors. But yeah, there's always room for conversation with neighbors because there's lots of vacuum, you know, transactions happening. So it's good. We're able to talk to them lots and (laughs) it's a good thing. (laughs) As Megan and I wrapped up our conversation, we talked a little bit about, you know, what you would tell the world if you had the chance or what you wish they understood about what it's like to be a parent of a kid with special needs. Here's what Megan had to say. And I do, I do think that is one thing about special needs that I would, I wish more of like the general population understood that it doesn't matter what your child has. Like they could have like, you know, this debilitating limiting syndrome where they're, you know, immobile and, and that kind of thing. And we'll never, you know, I have like, they'll never progress beyond a certain, 
you know, age or whatever. And then you can have a child who is super high functioning, but always saying horrible things and like has really, you know, violent, difficult behaviors. And, and I've just found that it's all hard. It's all hard. It doesn't matter what it is. There is not one that's easier. It's all difficult and it's all challenging. And I guess the beauty of that is that we can just reach out to each other and say, I get it. It is so difficult. And it's not a contest of, you know, one person's life is harder than another person's. It's just all challenging. And, but on, on the other hand, like we were talking about earlier, it's this great opportunity to live with this, you know, really pure kind of precious person who is teaching all of us great things. Megan Goats is a writer and mother living in Utah with her husband and four sons. You can find her on the web at twoursurvival.com. Today's episode was recorded and produced by me, Sarah Evans. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe in iTunes. If you really liked it, please feel free to leave a rating and review. I'm still looking for more parents to share their unique experiences in parenting children with special needs. So if you would like to participate, please send me an email at bringingupbetty at gmail.com. Also, please feel free to share this podcast with any other parents you feel may benefit from listening. For notes on today's show and for more ways to get in touch, please visit us on the web at bringingupbetty.com. Thanks again.